There's a rush to be first rather than to be correct. All the things that can take you out. The most likely thing to kill you is yourself. Most activists of most causes, they're not usually people who have their lives in order. Where a lot of people go wrong, they assume that they have to have some form of battle or some form of hardship in their life that they have to go and stand up for. I think that true self-love means true self-responsibility and accountability and wanting to be the best version of yourself. I think the, the probability that you were born in the town, city, or even country that is absolutely the best for you is pretty low. You do have 10, 20 times the testosterone level as the average woman does. Let's take that energy and that power and that aggression and drive and let's put it into something constructive. To build a strong, healthy, fit physique, if you can do that, it requires the exact same personality traits and habits that are required to achieve success. One of my core online principles and real world principles is play the ball, not the man. And we are back in Dubai, and this episode, guys, is going to be an absolute banger. I have got another returning guest to the show. This man, in the last 12 months, I've seen him interview Elon Musk. I've seen him absolutely send it to a whole new level on all forms of social as well, and TV appearances, speaking gigs across the world. The man is Zuby. Welcome to the podcast, my man. How's it going, Frankie? Good to see you. It's, uh, I mean, I'm hyped to have you back. I'm hyped to have you here. I'll tell you exactly the place where I want to start with you today, because I was reading through your Twitter before... We, we came into this room today and the one tweet I want to start on, because I think this is such a powerful thing for people, for you to contextualize for this audience is this. You wrote this, you wrote, work on yourself, be a massive, be of massive value to your community, put your family in the strongest possible position to weather any storm and enjoy the process. That was in reply to a question that someone had asked you this morning. Mm-hmm. I just want you to expand on that because obviously... There's a lot of wisdom in that. I know it's like it's like a it's like the father of Twitter is telling the world something, <laughs> and I think we should all stand up and listen. Give it, expand that for me. Yeah, sure thing. I mean, that was actually, as you said, a response to a single individual who asked me a direct question. So, to give further context, I said something along the lines of being angry, outraged, being angry, outraged, and offended all the time doesn't make you a better person. It was just a flipping tweet that I threw out there because it's something I believe and it's relevant to a lot of things that I constantly observe both in the real world and on social media which is this thing that being angry and offended number one means that you're correct but number two it means that you're righteous and perhaps you're even a more virtuous and better person because you care so much that you're constantly angry the truth is in this world and I believe this has been true for all of human existence there are infinite things for you to be angry and offended about, especially if you expand your scope to the entire world. There is always multiple conflicts going on, multiple wars, people dying unjustly every day, crimes taking place, people getting sick, children dying there. If you want to, I mean, just open open any newspaper in any country and go through it, you'll find plenty of things that it's reasonable to be angry about. However, If you're just angry all the time and you're offended all the time, you're that person who every time someone says something or everything you read, you try to find out how it makes you mad and how you can justify that anger, then it's just not productive. Number one, it doesn't mean that you're a morally superior person, but number two is it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. If I just spent all my time on every podcast I do and every public speaking gig I do and my music and my tweets and my Instagram just 
complaining about the world and actually feeding into fe- trying to make people fearful and trying to make people angry. I mean, that that is a whole social media strategy. Yeah, understand. It, it, beyond social media, what does why do people even criticize the traditional media so much? It's like they're just creating division and ginning people up and getting people angry and hostile and polarized and so on. And there can be a time and a place for this. I'm not saying you go to the complete opposite end and you're completely apathetic about everything in the world and you don't care and you're emotionless. That's not the answer either. But I often just think of what is helpful? What what can be helpful? Right? We can all get caught up in the hype. But you have to come back to think, okay, what what is helpful and what am, what am I actually doing to move my life or those of other people's in a better direction. If I'm just out there telling people that the sky is falling and the world is going to end and I'm just trying to black pill everyone, um, it might be good for my view count and I might be able to build influence doing that, but ultimately I'm building the wrong type of followership and I'm not really contributing anything useful. It might feel to me like, hey, I'm being moral and virtuous or whatever, but who, who am I really helping? If I'm just striking fear into people and I'm telling them that the world is out to get them and everything is wrong and I'm just highlighting all these awful things, it doesn't actually help people. The sad thing about the world is we have extraordinarily limited control. Most people most people can't even control themselves, let's be honest. Yeah. Most people have very poor control of their own habits, proclivities, uh, addictions, sins, tendencies. People own, People struggle to control their own mind. They struggle to control their own body. You can see this. What's the weight of people being overweight and obese? The majority of the population in many countries. People can't even control what they're eating and their exercise habits, but they somehow think that they can control the entire world and everybody in it and every foreign government and their own local government. You want to participate. You want to be civically engaged, but there's there's an extent. And I think that when, if especially if it's not someone's job, I find that when people get completely obsessed with, say, politics, number one, it creates a new form of just another form of victim mentality where you're now just the victim of everything that's coming down the pipeline, but also it externalizes your locus of control, right? And it's also just a distraction because the truth is, as much as we would all like to, like I said, we we just don't have control over all those things. What we do have control of is ourselves, within reason. And that actually takes a lot of work. It can take decades of work to master yourself and maybe no one ever fully gets there. And then those around us are our friends, people we know. We can influence our friends. If you're a parent, you can influence your children, your brothers, your sisters, your parents, your community, the people around you in your local area. You can influence that. You still don't have control over it because you can't control another person. So you want to be a tyrant. But that's that's the best that we can do. But I think the truth is, and you know, Jordan Peterson has made this point years ago, and I think it's one of the best points he's ever made, which is that to truly change the world, that comes from everybody doing that, right? If every single individual did their best, no one's perfect. If each person did their best to, it's going to sound crazy to some people because people want these top-down solutions all the time, but if each individual did their best to improve themselves mentally, physically, spiritually, financially, career-wise, their meaning, their purpose, their community. If everyone tried to do all that and everyone tried to love their neighbors as themselves and treat people with decency and be kind to one another and be civil, even in the face of disagreement or differences, if everybody did that, if everyone just internalized that and said, you know what, let me let me stop screaming on the internet and let me stop you know, fighting and just 
obsessing over all of these political cycles or whatever it is. Let me focus inwardly on myself and my family. If everyone were to do that, that's actually how you would truly make the world a better place. Because number one, you snuff out all of that negative energy. We only have so much energy. We only have so much time. We only have so much attention. And you got to pick what you put in. Yeah, you've you got to pick. It, it's not, um, there are trade-offs. There are trade-offs. If I'm spending four hours a day, this is why I find, you know, kind of people who come at me and you and, and anyone who's, like, if you if you have any type of following on the internet, or perhaps even if you don't, you're going to get people who are hating, who are trolling, who are just there every day. And you can go through their feed and their entire feed is just attacking people, right? They're spending, let's say, four hours per day attacking. on YouTube, on Instagram, on X, on whatever it is, just attacking other people, leaving nasty comments, whatever. That's four hours that they're not doing something useful, productive, and helpful for themselves, for other people. You're just trying to tear down, tear down, tear down, spread negativity. And of course, these people are not happy because how can you be, right? I, I can imagine, I, I mean, how, how much time over the past decade have you spent to trying to, you know, leaving nasty YouTube comments and trolling people on Twitter and attacking people that you don't even know? I, I'd assume it's under five minutes. I assume, I'd assume, I'd assume <laughs> if I look back that I have left nasty okay. comments when I was younger, probably okay. 10 years ago, I, pro okay. I probably was in that boat. Mm -hmm. um, when I was in that UK mindset at the time of like picking a battle and going and fighting it. Sure. Because I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. They yeah. they assume that they have to have a, some form of battle or some form of hardship in their life that they have to go and stand up for, mm. that they need to get behind, whether it be Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. whether it be Palestine, whether it be Israel, mm -hmm. whether it be some 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 other form of dividing, divide and rule conquership on the internet. What I've seen from you, which is what I which is what I love and resonate from, is obviously you're a thought leader in in the space of, of, of you, I'd say politically, freedom of speech, um, all these all these elements to your speech that that I think where you articulate your ideas and they're great. What I've seen from you though is that you you don't do it in a way to make someone feel a certain way so that you can sell them something, mm -hmm. which a lot of other thought leaders in your space kind of, they, they take you down one narrative and then they sell you a solution. So how have you stayed true to yourself mm -hmm. in, in that respect? Because I, because I, it's very interesting that other people with your following, with your engagement on Twitter yeah. are funneling yes, and you're not funneling. Mm -hmm. So what, what what kind of what kind of made you differentiate that part? Yeah, and by the way, a lot of people are get angry and upset with me for not doing that because people want you to take a side on everything, even if you're not knowledgeable about the subject, even if it's totally outside of the things you normally talk about. One big strange thing about growing a big following, and I've I've learned this over the years, is you have people who are truly supporters and they like what you're doing and they respect you and they kind of just understand how it is. But you have other people who want to use you as a megaphone. So they want you to be their mouthpiece. They don't really care about your true opinions or what you care about or wish you, what you wish to speak about or not. They just want you to use your platform to say the things that they want to say. So maybe they have 300 followers and they say, hey, you've got 300,000. You should be talking about this. You need to say this. You need to stand up for this. You need to condemn this. You need to condone this. And they want, and then they'll, they'll always, I'm so disappointed in you that you're not talking about this. Or I'm so, dis if you do talk about it, I'm disappointed that you didn't say the exact words I wanted you to say or whatever. People like that don't truly respect you. 
people like this don't respect you because they're totally happy. And th- this cuts across all sides. Yeah, this yeah. is not unique to your know, one side of the aisle or whatever it is. It just happens issue to issue. And there are people who they don't really care about who you are and what you're doing and the message you're trying to put out there. They just seek to have that control over you and use you as their microphone. And I personally refuse to do that. If there's something that I say or I post about or I say, it's because it's because I chose to. It's because I chose to and I have thought about it and I feel like I have something, again, helpful to contribute. There are situations where I don't have anything helpful to say. I don't have anything helpful to add to all these conversations are already going on with millions, billions of people. And I don't have anything useful I can say. If I say something, then it might just be misconstrued or it might even raise the temperature. It might people make, make people more angry when they're caught up in their emotions. It might make people more hostile. And there are situations where, yeah, I've got something valuable to say and I think it's going to be helpful. Sure, it might upset some people, but I've thought this through and here's my informed statement. There are more things in this world that I don't know about than there are things I know about. And I think because I have perhaps wisdom or expertise in certain areas, sometimes people think that you then have it in everything. There are subjects I know very little, very little about. Someone asked me my opinion and I'm like, honestly, I don't know. And I'm not afraid to say I don't know. So maybe that answers your question. I'm not afraid to say I don't know. And I'm not afraid to say I was wrong. If I do say something and it turns out, okay, I got some, (laughs) I got the facts totally wrong or whatever. I'm happy to say, yeah, I I made a mistake on that. And I, I think that very few people in fact, I think the bigger someone's following and the more influence they have, the less of an incentive there is to ever do that. This is why you never hear politicians or big media figures, you never hear them say, I don't know. You never hear them say that I was wrong or we made a mistake. They never say it. I wish they would. I wish they'd be humble and just say, you know what? Yeah, we, we got that wrong. I received new information and I've changed my mind or I said this thing and it was incorrect, but they don't do that. And then I think as a result, it's not so surprising that if these are supposed to be leaders, whether they're political leaders or media leaders or thought leaders or social media influencers, whatever it may be, if these are supposed to be the leaders and that's what they're exemplifying and demonstrating, it doesn't surprise me that the general population becomes less willing to do that, less willing to say, I don't know, less willing to reserve judgment. I think another big problem, it, and this is incentivized both on traditional media and social media, is there's a rush to be first rather than to be correct. So something happens. That is powerful. Right? There's a rush so to be powerful. first. People want to be first. It's true, isn't it? Yeah. You, we've seen, we, let's be honest, we've seen it massively in the last. Cool, it's called trend riding. It's tre- the, yeah. the, 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 they encourage creators on these platforms to trend ride. Yes. And, and what, you're, what you're saying is, no, 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 before you, tr- before you ride the trend, check the information is correct yes. like for argument's sake you could have tweeted if we went back to this war thing you could have tweeted that israel had beheaded x amount of babies or palestine had beheaded x amount of mm-hmm. babies right but the information was incorrect but so many political leaders in that in that particular time took the narrative mm-hmm. and tr- and trend jacked and hijacked it and went with it yeah. but it was incorrect information i think that's what you're kind of getting yeah, at. exactly because they want to be first and there's a pressure to be as well. So I, I understand it because sometimes something will happen. And honestly, within hours, I've got DMs saying, Zuby, what's your take on this? How come you haven't spoken on this? I, dude, I don't even, I, I've had ones where people are upset with me and I don't even know the incident that has occurred. 
that they want me to speak on, especially with time zone differences, right? Something might happen somewhere and I'm literally asleep when it happens. And then I'm up in the morning and I've got, you know, not loads, but I've got a few messages saying, you know, what's your take on this? Or how come you're silent on this issue? And I'm like, I don't even know what you're, I don't even know the issue they're referring to. And then I have to go and look on the news and say, oh, this thing happened overnight while I was sleeping. And now, but I'm, I'm supposed to what come out. I just, I've just woken up and I'm meant to give a, give a hot take, which is going to potentially reach millions of people and influence them. And I'm, I, I will not do that. Unless I, I know what's happened and I've done my best to really get the information and also I choose to speak on it because I think I can say something helpful, I won't be pressured into doing that. And most people are. A lot of people are under a lot of pressure, especially if you're someone who usually speaks out on, on certain things. It can become a trap. Yeah. Because there's also the thing of, oh, how come you spoke on this, but you didn't speak on that? Yeah. Right? How come you talked about this issue, but you didn't talk about this issue? So once you start that thing of, okay, I'm the person who speaks out against injustice, you actually kind of set yourself up for failure in certain ways because everything that happens on the day it happens, you're meant to have a take. You're meant to have this analogy for, and the following will always try and load the bullets for you to fire and they don't care where they land. They, nope. just, they just want to load the bullet and you to fire that bullet. Yeah. But it's like, it, it, it's, 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 in, it's, it's important that you have the, the true context and the true nature of what you're going to say mm. before you say it. So why, why is it that you believe that humans, as a kind of bright byproduct of being a human these days, you will go out and worry about what's happening on someone else's grass and someone else's land in someone else's world, more so than you worry about the own, your own shit that you have to sort out in your own world? Why is that so prevalent in, in this day and age, especially between the age group, I'd say, of... 18 to 40 yeah we're in this we're in this social media age now where people will will happily talk about a war yes but what about the own war that's going on in their own living room where they're then they're not going to the gym they're not eating the right food they're not even putting the right things in their body to, to even give themselves the, the 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 ability to critically think yes what about that i think it's an outsourcing of responsibility and accountability and I don't think that people necessarily do this intentionally or consciously. It's a bit like the way people procrastinate, right? You could have some important work to do. We all do this. No one is immune to procrastination. You could have some really important work to do. And then you spend your time doing not, not just leisure stuff, things that feel like busy work, but they're not the busy work that you really need to do. You check your emails, you respond to DMs. You mess around with your website, you tweak some things here and there, and what you're really doing is, it's, it's avoidance, right? You're, you're avoiding doing what really needs to be done, and you're doing it in a way that feels morally and ethically okay, right? So if my life were a mess, if my life were a mess, if I didn't have my body in order, I didn't have my finances order. I wasn't right with God. I had issues going on in my family or my relationships or whatever it is. And I want to procrastinate on that. A great way for me to procrastinate is to obsess over things that are happening in politics, whether domestically or overseas, and to be talking about the left and the right and the Democrats and the Republicans and labor and conservatives and this conflict and that and that and that, and you know, putting the flags up and doing the slacktivism, the hashtag activism, and just doing all of that. And to the outside world, I'm getting props from that. I'm getting likes. I'm getting people saying, you know, thank you for standing up. I respect you so much, whatever. So I'm actually earning some social clout. Meanwhile, in the background, my own life could be, 
could be a mess. Yeah, my own life is in a mess. And instead of just dealing with that and saying, okay, I'm going to at least temporarily shut that out and I'm going to just focus on the things again that I can control. I think this is why, and I don't want to speak too broadly, but most activists of most causes are not like people who are really consider themselves activists. They're not usually people who have their lives in order. They're really not. I've observed this. When you see these big marches and protests going on, it's not typically people who really have their stuff sorted out. It, it doesn't normally be that. It's not normally, okay, these are all, all these successful people are out there and they've got the placards and they're marching and they're chanting and they're doing this and that. Because people are, I mean, pe- people are busy. People are busy, and I'm I'm very much a fan of people standing up for what they believe in, so I don't want people to misconstrue this. I just think that people need to be careful with the battles that they choose, and they need to be careful of how to fight those battles to make sure that, to minimize the chance that they're causing more damage than they're helping. Because you can have, you can even have a good cause, and you can go about it in a very bad way. So how, how do you feel, though, that um, someone who's listening to this can actually go about auditing yeah. all the battles that they think they're fighting in their life and make sure that they're in full alignment with their own personal growth. Mm-hmm. I think you'd start with yourself. I, I think it's a good idea for any any man or woman out there to honestly maybe spend some time and just, if you're someone who watches a lot of TV and is always scrolling social media and keeping up to date with everything going on around the world all the time and so on, I would honestly recommend practically shut that off for a while. You'll, you'll, be, you'll feel like you're missing out. You'll realize quickly that you're not, right? Shut it out for a couple of weeks. Shut it out for a month and work on yourself, genuinely. Sort out your diet. Most people eat like garbage. Sort out your diet. Clean it up. Exercise regularly. Go for walks every day. Hit your 10,000 steps a day. Make sure you're drinking enough water. Make sure you're getting enough sleep. Like work on the things around you. Call up your, look, it, don't be trolling me or hating on me or anyone else on social media when you haven't spoken to your own parents, you haven't spoken to your own siblings in the past week, you haven't, you're not right with your own friends, you're having beef with your girlfriend, your wife, your husband, your friend. like, what are you, what are you doing yelling at me for? Like, wow, what, what are you doing? Honestly, like, you haven't get got, your priorities. You got time. No, you don't, you don't have time. Like, get your priorities in order. You're yelling at me. Meanwhile, like, your mom is not even spoken to your, your own mother who, who birthed you and raised you. I'm like, call, call your mom, make sure she's, make sure she's okay. It sounds trite. And I'm, I'm not even trying to be condescending and we can all fall into this where we get obsessed with all these things. And we're like, wait, actually I haven't even, I haven't taken care of the things that I need to. And actually, and naturally when you do those things, you start to feel better about yourself. You start to feel more truly confident. You start to have a more optimistic look on life. Cause the truth is whether you're optimistic or you're pessimistic or you're white-pilled or you're black-pilled, whatever term someone wants to use, in a way, you're right. If I were to say that human beings are the most amazing thing in the world and we have overcome so much through history and there's so much love and kindness and generosity and compassion and friendship and generosity in this world and charity and people are heroic and they do amazing things, all of that is true. If I were to say that human beings are the worst thing in the world and we murder and we kill and we genocide and every day there's crimes against humanity and there's war for thousands of years and there's conflict and we're damaging the environment and we're taking out other species and destroying their habitats and polluting the river. I'm also correct. Both of those things are true. Both of those things are true. But 
which one is going to be your dominant worldview. And this is where I don't like to split humanity in binary ways because it's certainly a, a spectrum on this front, but this is where you have people who I, I just generally des describe as being pro, pro-human and you have people who are anti-human, right? They, they view human beings as this, this cancer and this plague on the world because they're so focused on all the negative, all the bad things that we do and we're capable of doing. And I can understand how people get to that point because if you really spend a lot of time just focusing on the negative and you're really conscious of all the bad things humans do and you're aware of your own nature and the fact that you yourself have the potential to do awful things as well and maybe you've done some awful things in the past and you spend all the time in that zone, it, it can really lead you to, to nihilism. It can lead you to a very self-destructive worldview where, man, this, this leads me to a point I wasn't even going to make because think about this, Frankie. I mean, we're... We're, we're both from the UK. What is the most common way for a man under the age of 40 in the UK to die? Depression. Like suicide. Think about that. The most common way for a young man to die, of all the things that can take you out, the most likely thing to kill you is yourself. When you really think of it, like, that's crazy. Deep. That's deep. That's dark. It's not other people. It's not illness. It's not war. It's not a random crime. It's you. You are your own greatest enemy. I think that it's crazy. This is not even a bigger conversation when you really think of it like, wait, young men are dying by their own hand to a crazy number. I don't even know what the total number is if you were to combine it across different countries, but I, go ahead. I think men are taught that they need to have a battle with something. I remember going in the, the boxing gym when I was younger and there'd be a a lot of lads that would be boxing in that gym and they they wouldn't just be in that ring to perform to get to a level in boxing. They'd be in that ring to escape the 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 dad that's beating them, the counsellor mm. state life that they're coming from, some form of hardship in their school life or education. So it's, it's like boxing to them was, and the best boxers, some of the best boxers I've seen, that haven't made it but were also the most talented were the ones that were expressing with their hands and their feet something in the physical reality that they couldn't express in their own internal reality at home or at school or through their family life. Yeah. And those are the ones, those are the lads that I've gone on to see struggle the most is is the ones that they've got this, all this talent but they don't have any belief in their own talent and they're, they're there's all I think we're always as humans trying to escape something and it's very ideal to find out as soon as possible in your life what it is you're trying to escape and to face it because the sooner you can face what you're actually trying to escape the sooner you can get away and take yourself away from this curve that we're leaning on where you know the biggest killer of men is suicide now yeah and that's because I because you're trying to escape something which you haven't yet faced and I think is there any advice that you can give people in order to get to the point where they can face this in a faster way? It's a great question. I have a theory, I've, I've said it a few times, where I believe that men are always building or destroying. I don't think that as a boy or a man, I don't think boys and men really have a neutral. When I look at history, the same is true. When I just observe little boys running around doing things, when I see teenage, teenage boys, when I see young men, older men, we're always building or destroying so and and that can be outwardly or inwardly if you go to the extreme 
you see manifestations of both of these, right? We've talked about the most severe form of inward destruction, which is where someone decides to take their own life. But even before that, there are many destructive things people do, substance abuse, falling into alcoholism, um, you know, self-harm, those type of things. But it can also be outward, right? When you have these people who go out and they commit they commit mass murders, they go out and they sh- shoot places up, or they go out and they just start assaulting and attacking other people, right? Or even in a less physically violent way, these people who are just there constantly on just tearing down, trying to just tear down other people. They're trying to, instead of building their own thing, they're trying to destroy what you built. They're trying to destroy what I've built. They're trying to destroy my confidence. They're trying to attack other people, tear those people down instead of building themselves up. If you see little boys, I mean, go, go to a nursery, go to a kindergarten, they're either building building with blocks and they're, they're piling right. stuff up, sand castle, or they're, or, they're, yeah, or they're fighting each other or they're knocking things down. This boy built a big tower with blocks uh, and then some kid comes down and knock, knocks down his tower instead of building his own tower. And I think that's a metaphor for how we generally behave. Women can do it too, but I think for men, maybe because of our competitive nature, our testosterone, whatever it is, we're much more likely to do that. So I think for every man, it's important to recognize we have this we have this energy we have these masculine urges we do have a desire for competition and conquest and fighting however you want to put it going to war we have that within us it's been with us for thousands of years you never you're never going to get rid of it so it's, so it's important you understand how to channel it exactly so i think the the wrong interpretation of this is the masculinity is bad narrative right all oh, men have aggression uh they have the potential for violence they can be destructive whatever they go to war so there's one narrative which is like, okay, so we need to nerf. We need to nerf men. We need to weaken them. We need to bring the testosterone out of them. We need to sort of turn them into women. Whereas I think the correct answer is, yes, men do have all of these things. We do have these proclivities. We do have high 10, 20 times the testosterone level as the average woman does. So let's take that energy and that power and that aggression and drive and let's put it into something constructive. And when men are really on their game, and I imagine like most men you admire, they're taking that masculine energy and competitiveness and all of that, and they're putting it as something constructive. It could be on an athletic field. It could be on in business. It could be an entrepreneurial adventure. It could be literally building things, constructing, building roads, working with your hands, whatever it is. It could be building a family, building and raising a family and molding and forming children, all of that. That's to me... A very positive embodiment of masculinity. So I think you don't want to nerf masculinity. You want to take that energy and you just want to put it in these constructive things. And I think one of the challenges of the modern era is that because we're so comfortable, I mean, it's wonderful that we're not being shipped off, <laughs> that we're not being shipped off to battle or not. We're not being forced to, yep. you know, toil, toil the soil for 12 hours a day to feed our families and so on. But that creates this new challenge where, you still do have that strength and that want to fight, you know, that battle. But since you're not really going to battle, you need to put it towards something that is healthy and constructive. Well, you've got to, you, you essentially as, as a man in this world have to fill the void that we have. We, you know, like you said, we have to, we have to fight as men. We have to fight for something. We have to pick a, pick a battle that we want to pursue. 
for me, it's been podcasting. I've put all my energy into that and trying to be the best that I can be in that. If I didn't have that, I'd have to pick something else. Otherwise, I'd go to war with myself, so, is what you're saying. So, like, you you know, me and you, we go to the gym. We, we, we pick our battle with fitness. We pick our battle with, with our step, the amount of steps we get every day. And we and we pick our battles with with you with your speaking and and your and getting out into the world and me with my podcasting and and you with your podcast as well it's sensational, but if 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 anyone wants the fastest route to that the fastest route is today from today from the moment you listen to this podcast, just for once in your life just say to yourself right this is my goal now and I'm gonna pursue this pursue this one I'm going to stick my flag in the ground yeah. and I'm going to go towards that and I don't care whether it's a fitness goal whether it's a relationship goal whether it's mm. some form of improvement but have have a clear goal with a clear load of steps that may take three four five months to even see the first step of progress yeah. have that because it's that it's the pursuit of that that will give you the purpose to align the rest of your whole life and if you mm. don't have that you don't have anything and to be specific with people I, I often I recommend for the vast majority of people, if they're not if they're not already doing it, I recommend to everybody start with the physical. Start with the physical. Most people are out of shape. Most people are get moving. I think literal motion is incredibly yeah, yeah actual like get get moving like actually move your move your body right move your body. If you're wondering what thing do I start on? Do I start with my money? Do I start with game and relationships? Do I start with uh, reading more books? Do I start with going to start with going to the gym? Start with if you don't already exercise regularly and you don't eat a good nutritious diet, start with that. Number one, because it, it's way harder than you think it is, right? People have this idea that oh, it's you people. You, I'm sure you've had people. Oh, I, I would go to the gym, but I don't want to get too big. I'm like, bro, I've been trying to get too big for 20 years. Like, good luck to you trying to get too big. It's like not reading books because you don't want to don't want to get too smart. Like, yes, yeah. doesn't happen by accident. So I think that's the number one to start with because it's hard. It gets you in motion. And I think that kinetic energy can be transmuted into other forms of energy. And, I, and it'll teach you to, to let's be honest, to, to build a, a strong, healthy, fit physique. If you can do that, it requires the exact same personality traits and habits that are required to achieve success in anything else. Consistency, discipline, perseverance, dealing with challenges, overcoming plateaus, going against the grain, doing something when you don't always want to, like feeling a physical burn and difficulty. It, it's, it's hard. But if you can do it in the gym, right? Show me someone who can deadlift 500 pounds and has a weak mindset. Do they exist? Maybe someone can find an exception. But if someone has built up their level of strength to do that, it takes time, consistency, it takes years to get there. And so that is displayed throughout other elements of their life. This is why, why when as a man, right? If you see another guy who's in good, if you're in good physical shape and you see another guy who's in you good respect physical, him. Yeah, there's an automatic, <laughs> there's an automatic level of respect because you know, it tells you something about him. It tells you, okay, I know that this guy has a some level of discipline and will and consistency and character because he's built this physique. I know you cannot accomplish that without those things. So actually it gives you, it, it's like a positive bias. It's a positive bias. It says something about you. It doesn't say everything about your character. Of course not. But it yeah, says it says you're dedicated yes. at the things that, that matter most 
in the judgmental stage of humans. Yes. So when I when I first meet you, what am I going to notice? I'm going to notice that you're you're well dressed, you're well kept. You know, you got you got you 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 jacked for your size. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like you train you train hard, and there's an instant level of respect. Yeah. For that straight away, because you've you've uh, you've got yourself to the point in life where you can be all of those things. And mo- if most people got to that stage, that's a hell of a lot stage further than where they are right now. Yeah. And it builds true confidence because it creates competence. Right. So people, a lot of people talk about confidence and oftentimes it's missed that the way you truly become confident is by becoming competent. Right. There are things I'm very confident about because I've developed competency and experience and I've done them so many times. I've done over 500 interviews. I feel very comfortable right now sitting here. It doesn't matter if camera's rolling or not rolling. I feel very comfortable in this situation. I've spoken to hundreds of thousands of people in the real world through the course of my career, and I've done over 500 podcasts and interviews combined. So I'm very much in my comfort zone right now. If you said, okay, after this, let's uh, let's go surfing. I've never surfed before. I am not going to be confident because I'm not competent. Yeah. Right. Someone who's been surfing, oh, I've been surfing since I was five years old and they're, they're shredding the like, they feel super confident. But then you know what? You might throw them in a podcast studio and switch on a camera and they're well up and they're, yeah. And they're, they're freaking because they haven't developed the competency. So I think when people talk about confidence, sometimes the advice is not particularly useful because they just say, oh, just be more confident, just be confident. And it, they should say, develop, develop competency, become good at that particular thing and in that area. And as a result, over the course of time, you'll naturally become confident in that and in other areas. Because even when it comes to something like surfing, I've never surfed before, so I would not be a confident surfer. But I'm confident in my ability to learn new skills because I've learned many new skills over the course of my life. So what makes this different? Yeah, you, you just yeah. approach it in the same way. Exactly. I know, okay, the same way I got myself in good physical shape. I used to be fat. I used to weigh more. I'm 37. I weighed more at 16 than I weigh now. It wasn't muscle. All right? Mental. And so I weigh, I weigh less 21 years later. That's down to your mom's cooking that show. <laughs> it's, it's maybe a factor. But, but th- this is the thing, because people look at me now, they're like, oh, you've got amazing genetics, or oh, you've always been in shape, or it's easy for you to say, or whatever. I'm like, dude, you don't realize you didn't see what I looked like 20-something years ago. You don't realize like I've been consistently training for a long period of time and minding what I eat and so on. What, but what essentially you're saying to people is, you frame it right now from the beginning you say okay this is my this is my new goal i don't have the competence in this but what i'm going to do is i'm going to give it 60 uh 90 to 180 days because that's normally the time frame that you need to get a kind of competence in the skill like surfing or like the gym where you can actually see measured truly measured improvement i'm going to give myself that time and just dedicate myself to those the reps that need to be done over that period of time okay well how many times a week do i need to surf okay i need to surf three times a week for 12 weeks and then I need to reassess and then I might need to up it to five times a week for the next 12 weeks because I'm now I'm now standing up and now I need to carve waves and now it's this, this, this. it's like people don't look at it like that people go I've tried it once I wasn't as good as I thought I was going to be because humans have a have an innate ability of thinking that they're better at something <laughs> that they've never done before than something that they've repeated 16 times it, it which baffles me but I think I think we can all get this overconfidence in how we'll be, how, how we'll be straight away yeah i think people forget that every single thing that they know and that they can do they had to learn at some point there was a time when we couldn't walk there was a time when we didn't know how to speak there yeah. was a time when we didn't know how to understand other people's speech we we both used to be illiterate right we didn't know how to read 
everything besides like what breathing, eating, pooping, and screaming, you have to learn. Like, look at a baby. Babies don't know how to do any. They don't know how to do anything besides those very basic survival things. That's all. That's all they know how to do. And then you see a toddler start to learn to crawl, and then learn to walk. What happens is they're walking. They keep falling over. They're doing it wrong. Some kids start they're walking, crawling backwards. They're doing it all wrong. And then they learn to understand speech. There's that stage where uh, little kids, they, they can understand what you're saying, but they don't know how to articulate back. So they can understand basic statements and commands, but they don't know how to speak. And then over time, they start attempting and they're, hor- they're, they're horrible at it. They're getting everything wrong. They don't know the grammar. They don't have vocabulary. And then very rapidly over the course of the next few years, I mean, between the age of, let's say, two and five, they go from not knowing to proficient, yeah, to being very proficient in the language. They don't have the biggest vocabulary, but they're fluent in the native language. It, it's crazy, actually. It, it's humbling because if you try to, like, I'm, uh, I, I, I'm, I do language learning every day. So, I'm, in the past, I've built myself up to a certain level of proficiency with French and Spanish. I've built my French. I've mostly lost because I haven't used it for many years. Like, I can still have basic conversations, but Spanish, I. I work on my Spanish every day and it's humbling because I was in Colombia, for example, uh, last month, or I was in Mexico a few months ago and there's five-year-olds who are speaking Spanish fluently and there's something very humbling about it. You're, you're there trying to learn a new language and you're seeing how difficult it is and then you're just seeing these small children and they're better than you at this language, right? We're in UAE and you're seeing children, of course, you're speaking and understanding Arabic and you're like, man, Arabic is, is tough to learn. And there's something very humbling about it, but it reminds you that every single thing that we know, I think as an adult, you forget it. You forget that you had to learn all of these things that you do about walking. You don't even think, you don't even, you walk so easily, you don't think about it. If you have a friend who you drive, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you take an adult, the same much. There's some adults, you know, they don't learn how to drive until their 30s or 40s or whatever, and they get in the car, and it reminds you, oh my gosh, I I used to not even know. Once you've been driving for a while, you just you you just do it. You don't you don't. It's so hardwired in it's you. In, you've ingrained it. Yes, you've ingrained it, and you forget. Oh my gosh, like it is hard to learn this. It is hard to learn this, but I did it. So I think when people have that sort of humility and they just remember that there's a process to all these things and you have the patience and you just remember, okay, I, I accept with anything new. I totally accept. I'm going to suck at this for a while. I'm probably going to suck at this for a while. And once you accept that, you don't get discouraged. You don't just do the, the first surfing session and you decide to give up because you're not good. It's like, well, who, who's going to be amazing at surfing the first time, the first time they try it. There's, there's a powerful saying in jujitsu and it's called always be a white belt. Okay. And, it, and what they're trying to say is like, even when you're blue or purple belt, just always be a white belt to learn in more to even when you're this black belt, you know, the first day you get your black belt in jujitsu, you're, you're back on, you're back on the floor of learning again, because there's, there's other black belts that have had them for 10 years. <laughs> so essentially like even, even in podcasting and you've interviewed people like Elon Musk and Alex Hormozzi and other people like that. You know, you, you've achieved phenomenal things, but there's not an episode that goes by where you're not learning something about lighting, about camera angles, about, oh, I said this, I, I paused too long here, I didn't pause long enough here. 
is it but you're you're in a stage now where you've done it so many times that you're just you're doing the one percent iterations but there was a time when all those one percent iterations were ten percent iterations and i think that's what we don't give ourselves credit for yeah the one thing i've seen you dramatically do which is similar to, to my journey self you've traveled the world for the last i'd say 10 plus years probably longer uh, and you've had a massive success in America. Uh, you've lived in Saudi Arabia, I believe. You've lived in the UK. You've you've bounced around the UAE. You've been to Australia because with last last podcast we did there. Yeah, so you so you've seen a wide variety of the world. But you've come to the decision now after becoming a multimillionaire tr- whilst travelling that you have decided to reside now in the UAE and and, and take up residency here. I believe. Yeah. Um, what is your reasoning behind that, and what has what kind of things do you see here that you don't see in other parts of the world that you wanted to wanted to dive into? Well, wow. okay, this is a big answer and it'll it'll make some people happy and it'll probably upset some people as well. I like that. I like um, but I've been dealing with this my whole life. I, I grew I grew up in Saudi Arabia, so I, I've always had unorthodox takes on some of these things. Firstly, when it comes to deciding a place to live, my my general philosophy, and there are many people who disagree with me on this, but I am a believer in go where you're treated best and go where is best for you and your family or future family. Some people have this idea that on a local or national level that you must live and stay and forever be in the hometown or the home country that you were born in or grew up in. I don't subscribe to that at all. There are people who think that that is the meaning of patriotism or that if you leave, you're running away somehow being being a coward or you're being a traitor or whatever it is. This is a belief system that exists all around the world and it, it cuts in all different directions. I think that's complete nonsense. I think that's complete nonsense. I think the the probability uh, that you are were born in the town, city, or even country that is absolutely the best for you is pretty low, Right. Uh, there, there are a lot of places in the world that are, are not great places to be born in, to grow up in. And the idea that those people should, no matter what, just, just stay there and not seek to improve their lives or whatever is, is, is very silly. It's very silly. Many countries, including the United States of America, would not even exist in their current form if people had had that attitude, right? It took people yeah. being adventurous and going off and breaking away from the norm to even found and create the country. Um, if someone is born in the USA and they genuinely believe that that is the best place for them and their family or whatever, then it totally makes sense for them. For some of those people, there's plenty of Americans who move to Mexico. There's plenty of Americans who move to Canada, move to the UK, move to Europe, move to the Middle East, whatever it may be. Um, so I think it's important to frame that first of all, because I think too many people have this very old school mentality in my mind of, you know, you must, you must stay in this place. I think that patriotism and loyalty should be more about your it, to me, it's more about the people, really. Uh, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I think there's there's an interesting question as to when when you talk about a country, what even is that, right? When you talk about the country, are you are you talking about the physical landmass? Are you talking about the government and the bureaucracy? Are you talking about the people in general or the people who are close to you? When someone even says, "Oh, you know, I like this country" or "I think this about this country," what does that mean? If someone asks me, "Oh, Zuby, what are your thoughts on China?" What do you mean? Like, there's multiple ways to interpret that question. You mean, what are my thoughts on the CCP and the government and their policies? Do you mean the 
El Anmas? Yeah, the, the area itself and the natural beauty and maybe the architecture and nature and stuff like that. Do you mean the, the Chinese people? And which ones? Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a billion people. Like I don't really know. Yeah, you, you know, so, it's, yeah. yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit of a funny question to answer. Um, but it, to to come back to your your original question, when I think about the things that I particularly care about and that are important to me, and that which I would want for my future family, my future children, and so on, and what environment and place would be best to raise them, when I consider all these things. The UAE is the one that has come out on top for me. It's come out on top for me. Um, it's I, I, I also I grew up in Saudi Arabia, so I don't have I, I don't for for a lot of people, whether they're British or American or whatever, the idea of moving to somewhere like the UAE, moving to the Middle East, is like a very weird and foreign concept to them. I grew up in the Middle East, so it's not in one way it feels like a return home. Yeah, in a way. Um, personally, I like the weather. Not everybody likes hot weather. I do. I know people who, for example, there's people who are like, oh, you know, uh, Canada is a great place to live. Just the winter alone would make me not want to live in Canada besides all the other stuff. Yeah. There's a few reasons I wouldn't want to live in Canada. If someone was like, oh, you know, there's places where just the weather, I dislike the weather so much, I wouldn't want to live there. So for me, that is an important factor. Uh, safety is an important factor. True safety. Right? especially when it would come to raising children. When I say safety, I'm talking about both physical safety. I'm also talking about ideological safety. Wow, yeah. Right, The biggest complaints I hear from my friends, particularly in the UK and USA who are parents, is the stuff they're pushing on kids in the school, through the media, on social media, the, you know, the, all those things. I mean, there's, I know people who are afraid to, you know, who have worried, they worry so much about the physical safety of their children and so on. And... That's always going to exist to some degree, but some places are much, much safer than other ones in the true sense, not this fake ideological safety, but in true safety. Um, obviously, there's financial reasons, right? When I look at taxes and I think of the next several decades and where I see my business and my career going, and simply by basing my company and residency in the UAE as opposed to, say, the UK, that could save me realistically in the long term over the course of my lifetime probably eight figures. Right, eight figures, which I would much rather go to people I care about and things I want to support than things some government bureaucrat decides yeah. that it should support. Right, there are many things I don't just oppose tax on the sort of you know taxationist theft level, but I look at the way that they're spent and I look at the things that are being funded, and I many of it is are, are things that I don't I don't support. I know how to use my better money better than the government does and random politicians do who I myself maybe didn't even vote for. Um, so those are all those are all factors. I also love the fact that um, the UAE and Dubai are on an upward trajectory. They're getting better. It's getting better each year, not getting worse. Again, big complaints I hear from friends in the UK as a whole and particularly London, many parts of the USA, is that this place is worse than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It's, it's declining. I've been to many of these cities. I've spent time in San Francisco, L.A., New York, you know, and L.A. is a shithole, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's declining. It, it's it, it would be one thing if it were how it is and it were consistently getting better. It were on an upward trend, but it's still on a downward trend. And you don't want to be in a place that's on a downward trend. As an entrepreneur, there's lots of entrepreneurs here in Dubai and in other places. I also love the fact that it's a it's a good travel hub. 
So be, as someone who travels around the world and does stuff in the East and in the West in different nations, I like, I'd like to be somewhere where, oh, cool, I need to go to Miami. Boom, there's a direct flight. Oh, cool, I need to go to LA. There's a direct flight. I need to go to London. Direct flight. I need to go East. I need to go to Kuala Lumpur. I need to go to Thailand. Direct flights. So that's handy because I'm not someone who's ever going to just be in one, in one place all the time. And then on top of this, I mean, I could go on. I also do like the fact that, um, I like the fact that there's just no politics and culture war, very little of it. it it's really exhausting. And a, a lot of people don't realize this because they're, they're in the water, right? A fish doesn't know when it's in the water. So again, if you are in USA particular, I love the USA. It's one of my favorite countries, right? And the, the big toss up primarily for where to base myself was mainly between the USA and the UAE. Um, one thing that can be really exhausting about the U.S., and it's not as bad as it seems in the media and social media, right? Most Americans are still normal and they're just living their lives and whatever. Um, but the the political and sociocultural climate is a lot hotter there. There is more polarization. There is more division. It does feel a bit more unpredictable and people are at each other's throats because of left and right or black versus white or red versus blue or whatever it is, there are still, you know, those fault lines are very present and they're constantly being exploited and widened by a lot of bad actors. And I feel that when I'm in the nation, I do feel a bit of a, a, a cloud over me where there's just that constant thing and when I, it, it's hard to explain, but when I come somewhere like the UAE, it, it's just lifted. It, it switches off. Even if I go to the UK, I, it's greatly diminished, right? The UK political, social climate, it's not as aggressive, not as polarized. It exists, but it's not as aggressive as it is in the US with, you know, the left versus the right and this and this and everything is it's just so politicized. It's like a team, it's like a team sport. And that's just very ingrained in many people. So I like that as well. I like the fact that when I'm here, I just don't even, I mean, if I think about it at all, it's thinking about stuff that's happening back over in those countries. Yeah. Right. I like the fact that, cool, I can just think of all the other things I need to focus on. My my business, my health, my finances, my family, thinking about moves I want to make in the future. Again, our, our brains can only focus on so many things at once. So if if I'm being all clouded, by all of this other stuff. Oh, this happened in the school board meeting and the GOP did this and the Democrats are doing this and we've got this election coming. Every election is, it's its so exhausting. You're, you've been hijacked, haven't you? Yeah, it, it, it's exhausting and it never ends because there's just these two, four-year election cycles and, you know, you, you can guarantee, I mean, this time next year, it's just going to be, remember how it was, Lou, November 2016, November 2020, and they've got the midterms, like it's going to be, whether it's Trump or it's Biden or it's this guy or it's that, it, and the way they frame every election as the most important one of all time, and this is an existential threat, and this person is, you know, if the other, if the other girl or guy wins, then this is the end of our republic, and this is the end of democracy, and this person's a threat to democracy, and this... It's just so jacked up. It really hard, It really hijacks people's limbic system. And I, again, I don't think people realize when this is happening. I think when you're in the mix, it feels it feels normal. And then when you come out of it, it's and you look over and you're like, "Geez, man, that's that's a lot. That's a lot of anger. That's a lot of frustration. That's a lot of hostility. That's a lot of fighting." And it's yeah, I I, 
I can dip my toe in it. And as I said, when I can add something helpful to contribute, I'm happy to. I speak at a lot of U.S. political events. I spoke at the Michigan uh, Republican Conference a couple months ago. I speak at, you know, the National Conservative Conferences. I've spoken at the big libertarian conferences and so on. So it's not even that, you know, I totally shy away from this, but you don't want to be like, I don't think it's healthy to be completely, completely just in that, in that water nonstop, day in, day out. And, And you can tell when people are because you're just, you can just be having a normal conversation and they just keep mentioning the left and the right. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm not even talking about politics. And then you just say something you're like, yeah, well, you know, that's the left for you. Oh, well, you know, the, those Republicans. Are, I'm like, dude, I'm just I'm not even talking about politics. And it, it's just in their language. It's in there. It's it's at the top of the mind all the time. Everybody they meet, everybody they see, they're trying to work out. Are they a Democrat? Are they a Republican? Are they this? And I'm like, yeah. I'm just like, man, that's not a healthy worldview. Or, or it, it's the same like you have the people who are like the race, the race obsessed people. And everything, they just view it through the, the lens of race. And they imagine that everyone else does the same thing. That's part of why you have these activists who think that everyone is racist. Because they're obsessed, they're, they themselves are so obsessed with race that they think everyone else is equally obsessed, right? They think that the average white person in the UK or the USA is walking around with this racial lens every day and deciding how to treat people based on their skin color. It's like, that is not no. reality. Most people... Try to pay the heating bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell most people who like really fret over you know racism and so on because you know, I, I know people who do, and I'm like, bro, people aren't even thinking about you. People are not thinking about you. Like people are pretty selfishly minded. Most people are as they walk about, they're thinking about things that pertain to themselves and their own lives. They're not looking at each person they walk past and doing some deep analysis of who they are and their ethnicity and this and this like i'm sure those people do exist but they're few and far between and even if they do exist if they're not bothering you what's going on in their head shouldn't matter to you right if i walked past a man in the street in london and he were truly a racist person who didn't like black people do you know what as long as he doesn't mistreat me or say something nasty to me i don't care what's in his head it's not your problem, is it's it? It's not my problem. Like, I, I'm not here trying to thought police people. So it's like someone might be like, oh, well, there's people who think like this. And I'm like, well, number one, you can't prove it, <laughs> right? Unless they're out there like saying nasty stuff and doing nasty stuff, you can't prove it, right? You're, you're psychologically mapping that onto someone else. Um, and even if so, they, even if they do have horrible thoughts or they do have some things that are not quite, as long as they're not acting on it and encouraging people to do bad stuff, who cares? This might be a controversial opinion, but I firmly believe people are entitled to their own bigotry, right? Keep it in your head. <laughs> you see what I mean? Like, yeah. keep, keep, keep it in your head, right? Someone might walk past and, oh, actually, they, they think a thought that's not a very good thought. But we all do this sometimes, right? When you're angry or when something frustrates you or something, we, we've all had times where we think something that is not a good, not a good thought. It's a sinful thought. It's not something we should do or act on. And we don't. And it's like, okay, yeah, I mean, we might want to f- formulate our lives so that we think less of those thoughts. But again, this comes back to controlling yourself, right? Imagine me trying to take on the burden of thought policing all the 8 billion people in the world and making sure that they have the right, <laughs> making sure they have the right ideas. That's why social justice warriors are going crazy all the time because they, tr- they, they want to do this to people, right? It's not even enough that you behave correctly. You must think the way they want you to think. 
right? So that's why they go around there calling everyone, you know, this a racist, a bigot, a homophobe, a transphobe. Like they, they're just throwing all these labels on people yeah. and they might not even be able to point out what they said that justifies those labels. They're just like, oh, well, um, he voted for Trump, therefore, or he voted for Brexit. So he's all these awful things. I'm like, well, can you, can you prove to me that this guy's racist? Like, what did, what did he do? And they're like, oh, well, he, he voted for Brexit. You're just like, what? Do I'm like, bro, that's your bad. Like, you need to work on yourself. Stop trying to work on, on other, like, you, you sort out your own thinking because you're not even making sense. You, you're right in what you're saying, in essence, because I've obviously lived in the UK and been to the US for some points. And it's like, in these environments, they're highly tense environments. The US, certainly a lot more than the UK, obviously. Highly tense environments where you're only one comment away from a potential argument about something that you don't even know the narrative of. <laughs> like, I don't even understand the the left versus right in America and Democrats and Republicans and all this stuff. Like, I don't want to know. All I want to know is that can I, can I live in Miami for a decent amount of time um, for a decent rent and, and know somewhere that does clean food that's not cooked in seed oils. It's yeah. not this. The hardest thing I found with America um, and was 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 not only the tension there and how, and how like the only the only nice place that I personally went was like kind of like the Miami Florida area that's okay. kind of, that's kind of nicest state that I went to and the the hardest thing about that is that even that's nice even though it's nice even though it's beautiful and even though the taxes are favorable more favorable than other parts of the US the hardest thing for me was food still shit and it's and if if people are putting shit food in their body then their minds corrupted and that's kind of what that's kind of what I was witnessing. When I went to LA, that place was like, it was like apocalypse now had happened there. Mm. Like I'd, I, I, I don't know what I had in my mind of what I thought it would look like, but what I thought it would look like and what it looked like were not even in the same ballpark. And I, and which, I, which area were you in? I, I went, I went, I, so I went, I went to Beverly Hills, uh, nice on the outside and nice when you're up in the hills, but, but then as you come down the hill, it starts to get worse. I went to Hollywood, which was an absolute, nice. which was which was like nothing you could ever oh. ever imagine in the history of mankind. It was awful, um, and then I I stayed in Venice. Now now Venice is all right, but I imagine it was a hell of a lot better ten years ago. Exactly. And I, I like there's a massive homeless problem in the yes. U.S. And I think it's of a would go off on a tangent talking about it, but I think it's a man. It's a purposely made problem to create tensions and create. Political allegiances. Yeah. So I, I think you got all that to manage, which is why I was interested in why you chose the UAE. Obviously, like I thought in my head, like you've chose it because you just want to take yourself out of that. But my next question was like going to be along the lines of this: It's it's you've built up a massive um, following and a massive growth trajectory in the US by you know being in the vicinity to be able to allow yourself to put to, to interview like Elon Musk and things like that. Quick one for you guys. This podcast is sponsored by contentremoval.com. As many of you are probably aware, I set up contentremoval.com in 2017 to help people remove all forms of online content. And I've looked after some of the biggest names and brands in the world doing it. And I would love to help you if you're struggling. If you're struggling to remove images, videos, search results, fake accounts, or anything online, go to contentremoval.com and we'll help you today. Do you find that the only reason why you can potentially move now to the UAE and do this and still be successful is because you've already gone to the gone and put in the hard yards there already? So, like for someone like me, what would you suggest that I 
went to America and based myself there to 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 increase my trajectory. Do you know? Well, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Do you, what I think is, I don't think you need like for you. You're you're a single man. You don't have dependency yet, right? Yeah. You don't, unless there's some other type of rush or pressure. I don't think you need to absolutely base yourself in one place. There's nothing wrong with spending three months of the year in the U.S. and three months in Australia and three months in Dubai and three months in, you know, Germany, wh- wh- wherever makes sense for you. That, that's that's totally fine. So you can you can go over somewhere and you can spend time there and you can you can do podcasts, you can do events, you can connect with people, you can hang out. Um, you can even have a base there. You can also have one somewhere else. That's yeah. fine. Like I, I have a U.S. visa, I, and I, I love going to the U.S. I spend tons of time in the U.S. It's one of my favorite countries to go to. The question was just simply, okay, when it comes to my resident status and my business operation and where it's incorporated and where I pay taxes and all this stuff, do is that going to be the U.K.? Is it going to be the U.S.? Is it going to be UAE? Which jurisdiction makes most sense for me, all things considered? And UAE blows the U.S. out of the water for me in, in that regard. 100%. Yeah, exactly. So when I just consider all these things, and again, I'm not thinking about what do other people want me to do, random strangers online. Yeah. I'm thinking, okay, what's what would be best for me? If I were to raise children in one of these countries or another one, where would I feel most comfortable doing so? Where do I think would be um, a place where I'm not constantly fighting against the culture or I'm constantly having to worry about this or worry about that thing? There, look, there's always going to be concerns. There's always going to be worries, but you can, you can minimize that, right? If you were raising your family in Hollywood and Los Angeles and you're trying to keep your children safe and your wife safe and you're trying to put them in good schools and you're trying to not overpay taxes and you're trying to not overpay rent and mortgages and all the like there's ways well, well i'm saying it's a it's an uphill it's a battle. hard way it's it yeah, I'm, yeah. It, it can it's it can be done but why not be somewhere where it's easier yeah. i imagine I, I i'm the youngest of five kids i'm an uncle to 10 all of my siblings are married all of my siblings have children i'm i i've seen the dynamics of family lots of my friends are married as i understand it Marriage and parenthood are beautiful things, and I'm excited for them at this point in my life. They're also challenging. They're also difficult. So why I don't want to make that even harder than I need to, right? If I can go to, it sounds trite, if, if I can go to a gym, which is really good, which is two minutes away, or I can go to one which is 30 minutes away, and I have both options, I'm going to go to the one that's easier for me, right? Like, why do I, training is already hard. Why do I need to add the extra commute to it, right? I, if I'm traveling around, cool, I can go to that one too. So so that's simply the way that, that I view it for myself. And not everyone is going to reach the con- same conclusion, nor would I want them to, right? I don't want everyone living in the same city or in the same country. <laughs> that would be a nightmare. I just say to people, look, each person has to make their own decision. And there's going to always be trade-offs. There's no place there's not trade-offs. One of the most common questions I get asked, frankly, because people see I travel so much, is what's the best city? What's the best country? Where should I move to? I'm like, bro, I don't even, I don't know who you are. I don't know your job. I don't know your family situation. 
I don't know what type of weather you like. I don't know what type of food you like. I don't know how much you care about taxes and social things. Like, do you need, do you want socialized? There's people who think the NHS is amazing. There's people who think socialized medicine is a disaster. There's people who are happy to pay. I've, I've spoken to people who are from like places like Finland and Norway, and they're happy to pay 40, 50, sometimes 60% taxes for the things that they get for it. Whereas to me, I don't even care what you're giving me. I don't want to pay. I'm not giving half my money to the government. I don't even care. I don't care what you give me. Yeah. Like to me on a moral principle and just the way I view the world, it's not it's like that's not good for you. Yeah, like, like, like that's not it. But every, everyone, everyone's different. So I'm just like, look, some people will be like, hey, the best place for me is Iceland. And I'm like, cool. You know? I've, I've got I've got some conflicting views in my mind that I'd like to discuss with you because obviously you're a man that's done sure. this. When we spoke in Australia, you were, you were, you were at that point in your life, you were traveling around the world and you had a certain amount of pairs of shoes, certain amount of shirts. <laughs> we talked about the suit that you, you had one suit and it could do this, that and that way. And we, we talked about that whole process and I thought, oh, that that inspired me to go on this journey myself. Now I'm living this life where I'm out of this suitcase and, I, and I'm kind of spending like one or two months in each location. I can't do weeks here, weeks there because I get like, the instability kills me. But one thing I've struggled with is like when I, when I let go of my UK base um, after leaving Australia, I, 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 I kind of feel like by having no fixed base, it's been a real struggle to me. And I think it's uh, how have you overcame that struggle when you leave because obviously you 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 did it for so much longer than me. Uh, yeah. So how do how have you got how did you get over that bit? Well, look. Firstly, again, it comes down to there's a lot of factors. I think one of them is just personality type, right? When I explain to people what I do, I'm like, yeah, I don't recommend it for most people, right? I I I do 50, 50 flights a year, something like that. There's some people who hear that and they're like, oh, that's awesome. I'm so jealous. I wish I could do that. I'm like, oh, do you really? Like some people are wired for it, but a lot of people aren't. Like I don't even get jet lag. Yeah. Right? Most people are like, geez, I, how do you deal with jet lag? How do you? I'm like, I don't. Like, I'm I'm fine, right? So maybe there's something in my physiology and personality type that makes me okay with it. But also, the way I grew up was really different from most people. I, I, I grew up traveling, right? I was born in England. I lived in Saudi Arabia. I went to boarding school from the age of 11. From the age of 11, I was flying internationally by myself. Yeah, flying back and forth between the UK and Saudi Arabia multiple times a year on my own. Um, I've now at this point been to, I think, 43 different countries. I've been to so many cities. I've been to 25, 25 different U.S. states. I'm not even American. When I was went solo with my music career and I was just traveling all over the U.K., Bournemouth, Manchester, Isle of Wight, Norwich, Cardiff, Glasgow, just all over the place, I've lived this very nomadic lifestyle to some extent. For the majority of my life. So it kind of feels so, strange, doesn't it? Yeah. So when people even ask me, like, where are you from? Most people, if you ask them, where are they from? They have a simple answer. I don't. I'm not trying to be smart or whatever or be weird and not be indirect with people. But if someone asks me, oh, you know, where are you from? I'm like, well, what do you mean? Do you mean where I was born? I was born in Luton. I've never lived in Luton in my life. Right? Um, I'm so I'm from, I'm from England. They're like, why do you sound American? I'm like, okay, I grew up in Saudi Arabia. I went to an American school in Saudi Arabia, and then I went to a British school and a British university, and my family is from Nigeria. And you, right, right? It, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. So I could say Nigeria is my home. I have a valid claim to that. I could say Saudi Arabia is my home. I have a valid claim to that. I could say England is my home. I have a claim to that. But, and I say that, and people are like, oh, but you sound American. So, so you've just, so essentially what you're saying is you've become peaceful wherever yes. you lay your hat. Exactly. And you, so whereas, what I've been trying to battle is I've been 
in my head, I've been trying to battle like, oh, you're a, you're a citizen of Australia, you're a citizen of the UK. And it's like, I've attached myself to those things. Whereas, yeah. you're, whereas what, yours, what, what you've plainly said to me there is, Frankie, I don't associate with a certain country. I just associate my home is wherever I lay my home. Yes. Well, I, w- I wouldn't even say that. I would say I associate with several of these countries. Um, but I don't have such a strong, like when I talk to other people, I can see that a lot of people, maybe most people have a very strong emotional attachment to a place. It could be a city. It could be their country as a whole. I think that is the norm. I think the global norm is to have a strong emotional attachment to where you're from and where you were raised. I'm an anomaly in that I don't really have that. I love the UK. Saudi, love the US, I love Nigeria, and I appreciate different things in different ones. I, I love other countries that I've you know, never, never lived in just because I, I enjoy traveling to them. But for me, it's an e- that particular hurdle is very, very, it's a very small bump because I don't feel such a strong attack. I like the UK, but I don't, I don't have the emotional attached to it in the way that someone who was born in England raised in England, grew up in England, went to school, went to university, whatever. So for me as well, and I think part of the, I've never actually discussed this before, but I would assume that some of the reason that bonding hat occurs is because people associate the hometown or the home country with the people, right? Oh, that's where my family is. That's where my parents are. Maybe their siblings, their school friends, their university friends, whatever it is. A lot of people spend the first 20 plus years of their life in one city or one region and everyone they know is there I, I grew up traveling i have friends from my friends are all over the world i can go to any city any country i have friends there some of them will be friends that i, I grew up with from saudi because where i grew was like very uh multinationality so there were americans and canadians and brits people from arab countries people from asian countries people from african countries they were all there and now all those people are dispersed all over the world i went to two different boarding schools in the uk so I have sets of friends from, okay, so let, let, me, let me run this through. I have sets of friends from the first school I went to in Saudi Arabia, the second school I went to in Saudi Arabia, the first boarding school I went to in the UK, the second boarding school I went to in the UK, Oxford University, um, friends I made when I worked in the corporate world for three years, friends I've made through my music career, and then friends I've made from all of the crazy work that I've done over the past few years, podcasts, speaking events, just posting on social media, whatever it is. So my circle of, I have like 10 circles of friends all over the place. They're not just like, okay, my friends are in Bournemouth or, oh, okay, my friends are in uh, Dubai or my friends are in, like, they're just, they're just everywhere. So I don't have that. I think maybe that's part of why as well. I don't have like that emotional connection. So I love Saudi. I, I lived in Saudi for 20 years. Um, but everyone I grew up with in Saudi no longer lives there. So if I were to go visit Saudi Arabia, I can't go visit. I can't just kind of go back to where I grew up and see all those same people and catch up with everyone because none of them, none of them are there anymore. So while there's some desire to see the place again, those connections are scattered elsewhere. I, I don't really have a loyalty to any patch of land. I do have loyalty to people. I have loyalty, of course, to my friends, to my family. I'm super tight with my family. And also with my own family, we're scattered across four different countries and continents in my immediate family, right? I've got four siblings, 
we live in four different countries. <laughs> um, you know, so even if I want to see everyone, I want to see my brothers, my sisters, my nieces, my nephews. It involves you traveling, it which is what you do. It, it exactly, exactly. Because people are like, oh, don't you miss your family? I'm like, yeah, I, I see my family more than anyone else in my family sees my family. Because of the because way I'm curated. traveling so yeah. much. Exactly. And I understand, look, once I settle down and I get married and I have children and start my own family, some of this is going to, I'll still be traveling because I need to for what I do for work, but it's not going to be as intense Present, yeah. as it has been. And I'm very conscious of that. I'm very aware of it. I, I recognize, cool, I'm in this unique stage. So season. Yeah, season. Um, I, I'm, I'm working on my third book right now. And um, earlier in the year, I went to Guadalajara in Mexico to work on it. Um, I went to Medellin, Colombia last month to work on my book. I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to go to Medellin. I've always wanted to go to Colombia. Why don't I, why don't I work on my book there? Um, and when, once I've got like some kids and stuff, I might not be able, <laughs> won't be able to make that decision so easily. Or if I do, it's going to be a big, okay, let's all, let's all go over. Like there's a lot more coordination. So something I also recommend to young people is, you know, if you're in, if you're in a certain position where I, I think it's good to look down the course of your life and think about what you will be able to do and not do and how easy or difficult it might be to be, might be to do at different phases of your life. Yeah. Right. I, I think about my life a lot. Like I don't, I don't run around doing all the things I'm doing thinking, okay, I can live exactly like this forever. I know I can't. And actually I, I wouldn't want to, if I had dependents and kids who need to see their father be around, I, I don't, I wouldn't want to be just, okay, bye guys. Like I'm off for months on end traveling in random places. It'll be okay, cool. I've got to go do this event here. Either I'd like to think, okay, sometimes they can come with me. Sometimes it might just be me who goes. And then, okay, cool. I do the thing and I come back. Um, so I, I think a lot down the line and I like to sort of, I don't know what you'd call it, life plan a little bit and think, okay, this is what I aspire to. This is what I'm going to have in the future. So let me use this moment to build everything towards that. And I'll be honest with you, Frankie, at this stage, the, the knowledge and the desire to become a family man m myself and to open that whole new chapter of my life is my biggest motivator at this stage. All, so many of the moves I'm making, you, you heard this in my answer, you know, why the UAE? I'm not just thinking about me. I'm thinking about people who don't even exist yet. Yeah, right? Awful. That. As, so so that, that's all factoring into the equation. The things I'm doing, the way I'm even trying to set up my business. So one of my, one of my first goals, so I went... Um, so not everyone knows. I, I used to, I worked in the corporate world from 2008 to 2011. Um, October 2011, I left that and I became a full-time rapper. And I was just traveling all over the UK. I was doing gigs. I was selling my CDs on the street and eventually in shopping centers, et cetera. And one of my, my first goal when I did that was, okay, I need to, my first goal was break even, make enough money to keep this thing going and to keep myself alive, basically feed myself and be able to handle my basics. That was like my first, first goal. And after I hit that, one of my next goals, and this took a long time, this took about a decade, almost a decade. One of my next big goals was, I want to be location independent. I want to be at a stage where I don't need to be in one city, let alone country, in order to be successful. Yeah, in or, yeah, in or, well, in order to keep making money, right? If you think of, 
lots of jobs, most people work, right? You're, you're tied to a place. And that might be okay for some people. Like I said, most people are more homebody types, right? That's totally fine. But I don't want to be like, okay, if I, to make money, I need to be in London or I need to be in this one place. So one of my big goals was, okay, there's this thing called the internet and this opens up a whole bunch of opportunities. How can I, how can I, how can I use this to enable this goal? And over the course of time, I was able to work out, oh, cool. I was able to get to a stage where, wow, okay, my income now is besides live events, besides public speaking and concerts, my income is location independent. I could be in Dubai. I could be in Miami. I could be in Colombia. I could be wherever in the world and I could keep making money. So that was one of my big goals. I've, I've achieved that one. Um, one of my next big goals was, you know, have some, you know, some level of security with all that. And now my, my goal at this point is, okay, I want to ideally, Lord willing, um, I want to have as many kids as the good Lord gives me. I want to get married. I want to have a lot of kids. Um, that's expensive, right? <laughs> um, so I need to say yes, yeah, yeah that, that, that's expensive. And yeah, there's more considerations beyond the financial, but as a man, I have to take a financial responsibility. So what are the moves that I can make and what are the things that I can do that put me in that best position? This comes back to how we actually started the podcast. And I was saying, you know, I recommend to people, like, take care of yourself, put yourself in a good place, uh, make your own, make yourself and your family as prepared to weather any storm as you can. Um, and so that, that's very much where my brain, that's where my brain is going. I, I'm not, even when it comes to entrepreneurship or business or whatever, my goal isn't, oh, let me make money so that I can buy a flashy new car or like a fleet of cars or some material thing. I'm thinking, look, I'm going to get married. I'm going to start a family. And as I've already said, that's going to be challenging. What's one of the biggest challenges that families have? Financial. I'm like, I don't want that to be I don't want that to, I don't want that to be a massive burden in my marriage, in my family and and so on, right? Like I don't need to be obscenely bawling, but I don't want it to be where I'm making compromises I don't want to make or I'm doing lots of things I don't want to do or I'm compromising cuz I need the money or because I haven't got the money to do something. I don't know, my child gets sick and I can't afford to I I don't want to I've I've seen what other people deal with. And there, again, there are certain problems where I would like to try to avoid those potential pitfalls. So that's very much the way I think. I just have an abundance mindset, and it's better to have abundance than to have scarcity, not just financially, but in, in various things. I think this even comes down to something like health. People are, oh, you know, what are you training for? I'm training for life. Right. I, I, I hope I never, right. You, you, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I, I hope, hope you I are too, mate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like, I'm not planning that. Oh, some crazy emergency or something. I'll, I'll tell you, do you, do you know one group of people who I uh, used to think were a little bit crazy, but I get them now? Crossfitters. No, preppers. <laughs> preppers. You know, the people who have like a year's worth of supply, worth, worth of food in their basement. Oh. And like toilet paper and toothpaste, right? They're yeah, they're ready yeah. for the they're ready apocalypse. for a problem. Yeah, they're they're ready. Like, I used to be like, what are these people doing? Like, why are they? Why are they so like? And yeah, it can go too far. But I'm like, you know what? I get that. I get that. Well, right? They, they be be prepared. You don't know what's going to happen, right? The electricity grid could go out. There could be a shortage of fuel. There could be all you know all all sorts of things. Hurricane could come and like you know knock knock out the power or whatever. I'm like, you know what? Actually, it's probably a good idea to have a few months worth of 
a few months worth of supplies for yourself and your family. That's if, pretty smart. If you look at how families were in the UK or America years gone by, even Australia as well, if you look at how families were, they, they, they did stockpile on things. You know, when things were cheaper and when things were abundant, they stocked up on those things, whether it be apples and they put them into the storage, whether it be potatoes or whatever they're doing. And we're, we're taught as a, as a, to be consume, consumers and mm. we're, we're taught that, you know, there's going to be an app that you can go and buy this on at any time of the year. And, yeah. and, and at one point in our lives, there may be a point when that's not possible. Yes, exactly. And it, you've got to respect these people that kind of, they're doing the same with food and with, with what they like in their life, the same way that you're teaching people to do with money yeah. so that they can so they can survive a bad time. Yeah, it's contingency. It, it's contingency plan. And having a contingency plan isn't something that we should scoff at these days because it's the people with, that put the plan into their life. They've got a clear goal, haven't they? Yes. These people have a clear purpose and clear goal. Their clear goal is... We want to be we want to be able to survive through anything, so we're going to put ourselves in the position to survive through anything. So you, the question you have to ask in your life is, what things will I need to survive through that I haven't prepared myself for? Yeah, and and so that goes for your fitness, and it goes for your health, and it goes for everything in your life. You've you've talked at length there of why you've prepared yourself financially over these years. It's because you want to be able to have a family. Yes, and you don't want to be thinking about money. When you're trying to bring children into the world and trying to bring them up, you want to be thinking about abundance because you've already laid the groundwork to it. Exactly. And I think once people get clear on that, I think that's when you can, you know, fully cement your legacy. But through your journey in America, obviously you're not there at the moment, but you've interviewed phenomenal people. One of the key people that you've interviewed and that, that I want people to go watch on Twitter or X now is your interview with Elon Musk. I just want to kind of, pull out the things that you learn from Elon that you never even conceptualized that you could learn from this man. Like what would it would give me some insights that you've seen from, from being with this man that, that I perhaps have missed from looking at him from the outside. Yeah. I think most of the things I learned from him are not explicitly things that he said. It was more from the interaction and the experience. I think the first one is, it's more like confirmation of things I already knew, but he helped to amplify them. One of those things is humility and kindness. I'm big on humility and kindness. I do my best to exemplify these things with anybody I meet. But it really hit me that no matter how successful you become or how famous you become or how much wealth you have, I'm sitting here with probably the richest man in the entire world, right? The founder, the, the CEO of SpaceX, Uber, uh, sorry, Uber, sorry, SpaceX, Tesla, um, PayPal, Twitter, yeah, for, formerly PayPal, the boring company, right? The, if if someone had a right to be arrogant, Elon Musk would be up there, right? As someone someone who would who would have a right, shall we say, to be to be a bit cocky, a bit full of themselves, look down on other people, but he's not. He's not. He's humble. He's humble, he's kind, he's friendly, very down to earth. Nice. The fact that he even gave two hours how much of two how much is two hours of Elon's time worth? To sit down he can't, he can't process. No, to sit down with me on my podcast. I don't have the biggest podcast in the world. It wasn't like, oh, okay, this is the Joe Rogan experience. I just asked him to be on my podcast on DM. Do you know what he wrote back? Sure. That was it. People were like, oh, how did you get him? I was like, well, I asked him. Um and so for him to just be so kind to me and the people who were helping to set up the filming and so on 
just be generous with his time and you know, just just be a normal normal human being. It was just a reminder that no one is too good for you know being humble and treating people kindly and just being decent. I think we have this idea whether it's politicians or it's actors or it's athletes or it's rappers or certain celebrities they get very on their high horse they get full of themselves they start to look down on other people view other people as peasants and whatever and it's like that's a choice that's not something that's in that's inevitable so no matter what level i of success i reach or anyone else reaches there's no there's not a good reason to be an a-hole or to look down on other people or to not be kind and generous with your time and gratitude and so on. So that really hit me. That really hit me. Um, beyond that as well is I already think big. I think bigger than most people. And when I tell people some of the things I want to achieve, at this point, people don't think I'm so delusional because I've, I've done, I've got a decent track record of doing the things I'll, I'll, I say I will. Uh, there's things I said I'd do 10 years ago and I look at my life now and I'm like, hey, I did it. Uh, I rapped about that in 2013 and now I, I did the thing, <laughs> right? Um, but it made me realize like you can, he made me feel like I think small, right? He, he wants humanity to be an interplanetary species. He's putting rockets, he's putting, launching rockets into space every week with a goal that in a decade or two from now, we can be on Mars and we can be uh, getting resources from other planets and potentially setting up civilization. Like, whoa, like I'm, my thoughts are based on earth. <laughs> I, I think about earth. I'm like, yo, let's sort out earth. He's, he's already trying to put us on different planets. So as big as I think, I'm like, wow, I'm still thinking, I'm still thinking small. Like there's levels to this. Like there's no, there's no ceiling. There's no ceiling, right? You can, human beings can do extraordinary things. This is a guy who was born in Pretoria, in South Africa, had a difficult childhood, went through these things, set up this, made this company, had this success, did this, did this. He's still in his 50s. He's not even, you know, some 80-year-old man. And he's do you're seeing him just doing all these things and having successes with them. You're seeing what he's doing done now with Twitter slash X over the past year and how he's writing that ship. And and I'm just like, man, and he's doing this and, and then he's got he's got what, nine kids? He doesn't, he doesn't mess about. <laughs> yeah, he's, 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 he's got nine kids. He's running multiple companies. He's doing all of these things. And he's doing it all while maintaining a sense of humor, while still having fun, while still posting memes, while still engaging with normal people and going out to events and doing all this. So for me, that's just a great model and inspiration of you can do, you can truly, true. I already know it, but you can truly do extraordinary things. One person can, for better or worse, do truly extraordinary things. We can look through history, look at different countries, and you can see single individuals who have, for better or worse, massively impacted humanity. So I think those are some of the, those are some of the core things I just learned from that couple hours I spent with him and speaking with him and seeing his demeanor and just seeing what he was like as a as a real human being, because as, as you know, I guess with, with any famous person or someone who has achieved so much, there's always a temptation as to view them as not really human. Right. And I think that's one of the things that can cause certain celebrities or public figures to go a bit off the rails because you can get to a point where no one treats you like a human being. 
right? Either they treat you like some type of God and they're like crying and fainting and being all weird. Like the, you walk past them and you know, people are taking or, or they're like taking photos of you. Put yourself like, in fan mode. They, 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 yeah, like they're, they're just not treating you, you know, maybe if you don't have the right circle, you're just surrounded by yes men and you're surrounded by people who just, you know, they're sucking up to you all the time, agreeing with everything you say. They're never telling you you're wrong and you become... I think that's when people become very prideful and very arrogant and they're, they're just so detached from reality or whatever. You, you can get the both ends, people just totally sucking up to you. Or you get the flip, the flip side where people are just like incredibly nasty and hostile and derogatory towards you because they think that you got a certain amount of money or celebrity so you don't have feelings anymore, right? I can use this person as my personal punching bag, especially online because... They're not really a person. You see that too, right? People can be like incredibly, incredibly, incredibly nasty and harsh towards people. And sometimes they'll get called out on it and they're like, yeah, who cares? They're a millionaire anyway. And I'm like, all right. So you think someone being a millionaire means that they're no longer affected by really harsh comments and insults and undue nastiness. Like this is not someone who, in, in most cases, this is someone who's a stranger. They, they don't know who you are. They've never wronged you. They've never insulted you. They've never done something. But you're coming at them and you're saying these extremely nasty things, sometimes getting very, very personal, maybe even talking about their family or whatever it is. The person hasn't done anything to you. Maybe you don't like their music. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you don't like, right? you, you see what I mean? Uh, and I, I'm very careful with these things. So, for example, I, I'm very careful with how I talk about how I talk about other people because I've been on both sides of this equation and I see some of the things that people say about me say about other people who are in the spotlight to some degree or who have big followings or whatever it may be. And I'm very careful with how I even say things, right? So when someone is like, and I've, I've called people out on this and corrected them even in the real world, right? Someone might be, oh, I hate Justin Bieber. And I'm like, oh, when did you meet him? Right? Uh, when, when, did, when did you meet him? Like, what, what did he do to you? Right. When you say you hate, you think of a way you saying you hate, you hate it's a strong word. It's a very strong word. And like, oh, it's like, okay. I'm going to say, it was like, okay, you mean you, you don't like his music, right? Is that warranted to say that you hate the person as an individual? Because again, think, I'm not trying to word police people, but it's like, think of what you're really saying, right? He doesn't even know you exist. He doesn't know who you are. He's never wronged you. He's never said anything to you. He's never done anything for you to have that, like such a strong thing. I mean, you know, maybe if someone's, I don't know, some politician who is run a genocide and slaughtered people or something and oh i hate that person okay and i get that more but if it's just someone who you don't like the work that they produce or you disagree with them on some things that they've said or whatever it is because i've had people saying this and it's it's weird to me i remember when i the first time i experienced it was um actually in my late teens when i was starting out in music and to begin with because it was so new to me i it, it, it affected me a little i remember the first time ever uh this is when i was 19 I remember the first time ever I was on like an internet forum and there was a whole topic about me, right? No forum topics. And the topic was about me. And I'm there reading through, reading through the comments. I don't know who anyone is, right? I'm just a student at university who's starting making music. And, you know, some people are critiquing my music. Some people like it. Some people don't, whatever. And I was fascinated by how personal some people were getting, right? There was someone there talking about oh, how they hate Zuby and how I'm this and how I'm that. And I'm like, whoa, 
Like, why is this person like, what, what, what have I done to this person? It was really personal. And I was like, this person, you don't know, you don't know anything about me. I don't even know who you are. Right. It's just a username. And they're saying all these things and they, there's those back and forth. And that was my first time, you know, this is like pre Twitter. This is pre all these things. And I was just like, man, this is, this is weird. Like, why, why do people get so personal? And then I realized, man, people, people do that all the time. People are always saying, oh, I, you know, I love this person. Or I hate this person or I having all these strong feelings. And these are all strangers, right? Just because someone is in a spotlight, it doesn't mean that you, that you actually know them. And I've also learned, I, I've, I have met quite a lot of famous people at this point. And the way that some people perceive them or talk about them is often very different to how they are. I've met Ben Shapiro. I've met Elon Musk. I've met Tucker Carlson. I've met Andrew Tate. I've met, gosh, I've met Joe Rogan. I've met a lot of, I met Candace Owens. Some, some of these people who are, you know, they're loved, loved and hated depending on what side of the coin. Yeah. Yeah, Depending on what side of the coin. But I'm like, these are all decent, good human beings. These are people who are polite, who are friendly, who, even if you disagreed with them, if you met them in the real world, they wouldn't be nasty to you. They wouldn't be insulting. They wouldn't be harsh. They'd shake your hand. They'd talk to you. They'd give you the time of day. So I, I'm very conscious of that, even especially with, you know, people who are out there who I disagree with, or maybe I think they might have bad ideas or whatever. I'm very careful to not get into the, you know, dehumanizing or say, oh, I hate hate that person or whatever. I can criticize their ideas. And by the way, this is a less point here. One of my core online principles and real world principles is play the ball, not the man. Right? So you will never go on my Twitter feed or my Instagram feed or anything else and see me insulting and attacking any individual. I don't do it. So you, you, what you do is you, uh, you will, um, break down the idea that yes. they've, that they've put in front of you exactly but you're not going hey dave you're an asshole nope. exactly I, I, and i see this all the time most people don't have this principle most people will they'll just go it they'll just go at people they'll call people out they'll try to drag them they'll try to dogpile them right instead of saying hey here's why i disagree with this idea they'll they'll just attack the person they'll go they'll go personal they'll start insulting all of that i refuse to do that I refuse to do that. Um, and I'm not trying to virtue signal. I think all these conversations and debates and so on would be better if people dealt with the ideas. And it can be hard because sometimes both individually and for other people, we we connect ourselves to our ideas. So if someone criticizes one of my ideas... You think you'll be an attack? Yeah, I can have a, a maybe just a human tendency to think, oh, they're attacking me. Um, and I think you have to detach those things, both for yourself and for other people, because ideas are are external to us. So someone can criticize an idea that I have. Some, it could be something very, very core to my belief system, right? I'm a Christian. There could be someone who is critical of Christianity. They're of another faith or they're an atheist and they think that this belief system is absurd or whatever. I can see that. I can hear those arguments. I can hear those criticisms. I don't take it personally. Right. If you start telling me that, oh, you're an idiot or you're a bad person or whatever, because you, you, I'm like, wait, man, chill, chill, chill. Like, can we let let's separate? <laughs> let, let's discuss. Let's separate my yeah, uh, let's... My, my idea and your idea yes. from from actually me as a person. Yeah. Because you're not actually you're not actually got a problem with me. You got a problem with my idea yeah. on this and your idea on this don't yeah. match. Yeah, exactly. But it's fine to have two different ideas, mate, without us having to agree in the middle on on exactly the outcome of the idea, without you needing to tell me that I'm an asshole <laughs> yeah. for it. I think I think. There's a great discernment with that. And I think a lot, a lot of what this podcast has been overarching about is all about 
you have personal power and it's your responsibility to take ownership of your personal power and direct it in a way that will benefit you and your standing in life and your family's standing in life. You've got to direct your power, your own internal compass, and you've only got so many hours in the day and only so many topics that you as a human being can can conceptualize at one point. And the only reason you are well-versed and, and have expanded into so many topics over the over your lifetime is because you've added them over time. You didn't just... The, everything that you talk about now and everything you encapsulate now, I couldn't go and tackle all that tomorrow because I've not lived the life that you've lived to be able to articulate your ideas. Do you understand? And that this is where a lot of people go wrong. They're trying to articulate ideas that they haven't lived. You've gone out to the world, you've lived all these ideas, and now you're bringing them all and you're iterating, predicated on what you actually want to achieve as well. So I just really want people to, to get what you've said today is just own your own stuff check your house today yes. is it in order if it isn't don't go on the internet and write about someone else's <laughs> house get your own house in order get your own energy right see see where you can improve your own life and like Zuby says start with your fitness I, I think there's a there's such a common thread throughout this and everything you're saying I just really want to nail that home so people got it because I don't want it to be lost in translation because everything you've said to me says, you see this house that you have, this vessel that you're in, it's your vessel, get it right and you can nail everything in life. But if you get it wrong, you're now going out there finding all these battles in life that have no correlation to even the direction that you've wanted to drive. Fighting yourself. Yeah, fighting yourself and it's just soft. It's just one of those. And, and, and I think uh, uh, there's there's maybe one more point to be made here. There's lots of points I could make. I don't want to be too drawn out. Um, I, I think people need to really think about what loving yourself means. I think we live in this age where there's a lot of therapy language and there's a lot of talk about, you know, self-love and this and that. I think that true self-love means true self-responsibility and accountability and wanting to be the best version of yourself. Not this lazy, oh, self-love as in the whole world must just conform to you and take you as you are. I think if you truly love yourself, you should want to be, if you truly love yourself, you want to be in good physical shape. That's true body positivity. Body positivity isn't I gain 300 pounds and I'm waddling around and I'm telling everyone that they should accept me as I am and love me as I am and that I'm big and beautiful. That's complete nonsense. If I love myself and I love my body, I want to take care of that vessel. If I love myself, I want to treat myself kindly. I want to, I want to push myself, but I'll not, not be harsh to myself, but I want to push myself and realize my own potential. And I want to naturally then help other people realize their own. And I think it's impossible, impo sorry, I think it's important for people to realize as well that both positive and negative, these things are really, they're spirals. If you take a break from all the negativity and you start to get your fitness and your diet right and you start to do these things, you'll feel better. You'll feel more confident. You'll actually start to treat people more kindly. You'll be more chilled out. You'll be more chilled out. You'll, you'll start to make better connections and with that comes new opportunities. And it, it's a positive feedback loop. It's, it's a positive feedback loop. Whereas if you do the opposite and you have this nasty mentality and you think that people are generally more bad than they are good, and that people are out to get you and that you're a victim or whatever, you're going to reflect that in everything and you go down in a negative spiral because confirmation bias works in both directions. 
you frame your mind in the former way and you start to notice all of these positive things and you start to see all the opportunities that are, that are out there and you start to generate ideas and think of all the cool things you can do and people you can meet. Whereas if you adopt the negative frame, you're going to see all the things that confirm that, right? And you'll yep. get more and more, you'll get pulled deeper into the abyss. And the further down you go, the easier it is to sort of sink even further. Because so, you, you can tell this because sometimes someone is down there and you, you try to, you're trying to help them out and they're really adamant on staying down there, yeah. right? They get resentful at you because you're actually trying to help them. And that, that's one of the most difficult things. And, and I think it's up to individuals to at least take that, those first couple steps to improving themselves and just being open and more optimistic and positive towards the world and other people. I don't mean this in any sort of like way. I mean this in a very real way, just in terms of how human beings operate. Human beings are very reciprocal. If someone is going out there and they have a bad attitude and they're nasty to you and they're being mean to other people and whatever, you don't want to associate yourself with them. You don't want to be friends with them. You don't want to help them out. You don't want to whatever. When as you see someone else and they're being kind and polite and civil and they're treating you nicely and talking to other people, what are you like? You know what? Like, yeah, let me, let, let, let me connect with that guy or gal. Let's see how we can help each other out. Let's have that conversation. And this is where opportunities come from. And I've very much lived this throughout the last few decades of my life. Yeah, and that is the true art of manifestation where you, and I know that's a woo-woo term to a lot of people, but it's essentially the the your good actions that you're doing in the world are paying you back in real time and sub-real time yeah. in the future because of, you know, you're constantly depositing good things. It's real. It's, it's, a, it's a real thing. You, you don't see anyone in life that has, obviously they have challenging moments, but the you don't see anyone that, do, that does bad all the time that is constantly depositing good in the world. No, it's impossible. It's not a long-term strategy. It, it 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 doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't happen. If there was one golden piece of advice that Zuby could drop on this audience right now, just just one golden piece. You can't. You've left them with things that are going to challenge their mind in ways that I know are going to be really powerful. Mm. But if there's just something you could just leave that's going to move someone 1% further forward today from the moment you drop it on this mic, what would it be? Did you ask me that question last time we did a podcast? I did. I did. What did I say? Do you remember? Th- I, I don't remember. I don't, I don't want to repeat myself. I, don't, I, don't, I, want, I, want, I want to say <laughs> I remember, but I don't, rem- I don't remember exactly what you said. But I know whatever message, I, here's what I know. Mm. I know whatever message you're about to deliver will be the right message for today. Okay. I'm going to say something that I, I know for sure I didn't say last time. I will say, truly, I'm going to quote Jesus Christ, truly, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And there's two parts of that. One of those is love yourself. (laughs) A lot of people don't love themselves, right? Love yourself and do your best to create and be the best version of yourself. Day to day, moment to moment, we all have, make thousands of choices every day and we can choose the good one or we can choose the bad one. Um, lo- love yourself and then extend, extend that to other people, extend that to other people. I think that's how we truly change the world. I don't think it's just through activism. It's certainly not through voting, electing more politicians and bureaucrats or fighting on the line online or putting in the right hashtag or flag in your bio, right? N- none of that does anything. If we really want to move the needle, then love your neighbor as you love yourself, treat people treat yourself kindly, treat other people kindly, 
be decent, be civil. Don't buy into this notion that success comes from, you know, stepping on other people or being an a-hole or being a jerk or whatever meme someone wants to put out there. Um, The vast majority of people who are successful in various regards are people who are genuinely kind and who dedicate their lives to helping other people with their skills, their talents, their products, their services, and so on. Um, Yeah, I think that's that's the real key to meaning, purpose. I don't let me not say happiness, let me say joy. I love that. And I, I think I think it's so succinct what you said because it sounds so basic, but it's so fundamentally true to every part that you've said and it and it encapsulates everything you've said throughout this conversation. I just want to take this personal note to say to you, since I met you in Australia and seeing what you've gone on to achieve in your with your own podcast, with your own life, with speaking is nothing short of inspiring to me. Awesome. As someone who's on the pursuit of trying to be the best version of myself, I'm not trying to be Zuby. I'm not trying to be uh, Steve Jobs. I'm not trying to be Elon Musk. I'm trying to be the best version of Frankie. But yeah. looking at someone like you that 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 does it, but doesn't grey the area between trying to make it a funnel, is very inspiring to me, mate. And I just want to say that I'm proud of you as a friend, and I'd love to see it every moment of it. Thank you that. so much for your sure. time, brother. And guys, I hope that adds uh, a lot of value to your life. I hope that's moved you forward in areas you couldn't even conceptualize. And as always, like, subscribe, share it with all your friends. And I appreciate every single one of you that supported me along this journey. I'm probably about 170 odd reps in by now and and I've loved every single moment of it. So much love. Guys, do me a solid favor. Drop a comment below this video and let us know who you want on the podcast next.